0: Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week, my producer Miranda and I explore the top stories making waves in the news, and some that are just plain interesting. We connect you with the journalists and people who know the story, and bring you news without the noise, so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the Weekend Edition, we will be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. The top political story of the week has to do that with special counsel Robert Mueller making his first public comments in two years since the beginning of the whole Russia investigation. In his remarks, he recapped some of the findings and made two things very clear. Russia did interfere in the election and his report does not exonerate the president from obstruction of justice. DOJ policy prohibits him from charging a sitting president. We spoke to Zoe Tillman, legal reporter at BuzzFeed News, for what his comments mean.
1: The thrust of Robert Mueller's statement was, please read the report. What he essentially Basically, did yeah. was repeat the key findings from the report. And he repeatedly said, as I said in the report, X, Y, Z. So he began by stressing that the focus of his investigation was really whether there was interference in the 2016 election. And he noted that his office concluded, yes, there was and that they accordingly indicted a number of Russian intelligence officers charged with orchestrating hacks of the Democratic National Committee and Hillary Clinton's campaign, other Russian nationals with running a, a dis- disinformation campaign during the election cycle. So that's really where he began with that focus. And then he shifted gears, to the other part of his investigation, the part that's gotten far more attention recently which is whether President Donald Trump committed obstruction in the course of that investigation. And Mueller stressed that ultimately his office did not reach a decision because he said it was off limits that the Justice Department had long maintained that a sitting president cannot be charged, cannot be indicted. And as a result, it was a question that they really couldn't consider. He did say they did not exonerate the president. He said that If they had been able to say conclusively that Trump did not commit a crime, they would have said that. They didn't feel like they were there based on the evidence. But in the end, they said we didn't decide whether or not he did, in fact,
0: commit a crime. In the report, Robert Mueller looked at 11 different instances that were possible obstruction of justice. And as you said, he didn't make the determination. He was never going to. Even in his remarks, he said it would be unfair to potentially accuse somebody of a crime, when there could be no court resolution of an actual charge. This kind of puts it in the ball of Congress now. There's been reaction from uh, some of the 2020 candidates that have said that this is an impeachment referral and it's time for Congress to act on that front. To me, it sounded kind of like Robert Mueller wanted to put it in perspective and say we were never going to charge him. It's up to somebody else to do it. It's up to Congress to continue looking into this.
1: The special counsel was very careful in his wording to avoid saying that directly. Yeah, you can't tell what's going on in his head. (laughs) Right. I mean, we've seen some analysis that if he were to say, I'm putting the ball in Congress's court, that even that would be, in a way, sort of a conclusion that maybe the president did something wrong that Congress needed to investigate. So he really avoided doing anything or saying anything that would suggest strongly that he thought there was something for Congress to investigate. But that being said, he made clear that the Constitution lays out a process for going after a sitting president for wrongdoing, which is the impeachment process. It's really the way that a president can be removed, assuming the Justice Department sticks with its binding opinion that a sitting president cannot be indicted and criminally charged.
0: The president quickly responded on Twitter after Robert Mueller spoke. What did he have to say about this?
1: Ever since the special counsel has finished and said there was no evidence of a conspiracy between the campaign and Russia, and ever since the attorney general said, you know, even though Mueller didn't reach a conclusion on obstruction, the attorney general said, I'm going to say that there wasn't evidence to charge him with obstruction. The president has lauded this as a complete exoneration. Again, notwithstanding the fact that Mueller said we did not exonerate him, but he saw this again as another reason that people should stop paying attention to this.
0: What's been the reaction across Capitol Hill? Nancy Pelosi has spoken up. House Judiciary Chair Jerry Nadler was very forceful, saying that they're going to continue to investigate and pursue criminal charges against the president. What's everybody saying?
1: Nancy Pelosi continues to appear reticent to call for impeachment, even as more Democrats on the Hill, more Democrats who are running for president say that impeachment proceedings are the only option at this point. Pursuing impeachment is a very significant move by any House of Representatives to take on. It's a massive investigation. It's an incredibly politically fraught process. And so it appears that the speaker is not making that decision lightly if it is something that she is seriously considering. But there are more Democrats out there who are calling for impeachment.
0: Zoe Tillman, legal reporter for BuzzFeed News. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Just a couple of updates since we did that interview. The very next day, the president stepped up his attacks on Robert Mueller. He also dismissed the possibility of being impeached. He said, to me, it's a dirty word, the word impeach. He said, Russia's election interference had nothing to do with me. But this is what he had to say about Robert Mueller specifically. Robert Mueller should have never been chosen. Because he wanted the FBI job and he didn't get it. And the next day, he was picked as special counsel. I think Mueller is a true never-Trumper. He's somebody that dislikes Donald Trump. He's just continuing to cast Robert Mueller in a bad light. And then there was this interesting exchange that came from Attorney General Bill Barr. He did an interview with CBS News where he said that he did personally feel that Mueller could have reached a decision on obstruction of justice. The opinion says you cannot indict a president while he's in office, but he could have reached a decision as to whether it was criminal activity. But he had his reasons for not doing it, which he explained. And I'm not going to argue about those reasons. But when he didn't make a decision, the deputy attorney general, Rod Rosenstein, and I felt it was necessary for us as the heads of the department to reach that decision. I mean, this thing is just not going to end. Democrats are increasingly calling for impeachment hearings, and everybody still wants Robert Mueller to testify before Congress. So we're going to have to keep monitoring this as it develops. The other big political story of the week was just a political controversy. This time it had to do with emails sent to Navy and Air Force officials about President Trump's Memorial Day weekend visit to Japan. And there was a request in there to keep the USS John McCain out of sight of President Trump. The president and the acting defense secretary distanced themselves from the order, but it continued the long feud that the president has with the late Senator John McCain. My producer Miranda joins us to break it down.
2: So the Wall Street Journal reported on Wednesday that in a May 15th email to U.S. Navy and Air Force officials, the U.S.-Indo-Pacific Command officials were outlining the plans for the president's arrival to Japan for Memorial Day weekend, like you said. And this was based on different conversations that they'd had with the White House military office and the Seventh Fleet of the U.S. Navies. So this was all basically just their itinerary.
0: What can yeah. we expect? This is our what we need. The advance team goes and checks it out. and Everything's got to be in the right position. The podium's got to be here. It's just all the logistical situations that they got to take care of.
2: Right. So in that list was a directive That while the president was expected to speak on the USS Wasp ship, apparently the USS John McCain ship is visible. They're all docked in the same area. And so one of the directives was that USS John McCain needs to be out of sight. It was point three on the list. So later in the email chain, an official wrote, please confirm that number three will be satisfied, meaning that they were hammering home the point. Right to not let President Trump see the USS John McCain.
0: These emails have all been confirmed. The Wall Street Journal got a hold of them. The Associated Press has confirmed them with other Pentagon officials. So these emails have been set there. So then came the whole controversy. Was President Trump so angered by John McCain again and the possible presence of his ship there that he was making this order?
2: President Trump was confronted by reporters on this issue on Thursday. And when asked about whether or not he issued this directive himself, this is what he had to say.
0: John McCain, I wasn't a fan, but I would never do a thing like that. I don't know what happened. I wasn't involved. I would not have done that. Somebody did it because they thought I didn't like him. okay? And they were well-meaning, I will say. I didn't know anything about it. I would never have done that. And that's kind of what stokes the political controversy even more. He says, whoever did it was well-meaning. I don't like the guy. You right. know, He kind of goes on to the whole thing that we already went through. Everybody knows that the president and the late senator John McCain didn't get along. Let's take a step back and describe what Actually happened. There's pictures of the USS John McCain with a tarp over the name. Apparently, Navy officials are saying that they were doing maintenance on the ship. It had crashed and it had a like a hole in it. So they were doing some maintenance on it. But that tarp wasn't actually there when the president finally arrived.
2: Right. Acting Defense Secretary Pat Shanahan was aware that there was a concern about the presence of the McCain ship in Japan. And he supposedly, allegedly approved these measures to avoid what White House officials believed might be a disruption to the president's visit. So another U.S. official said that following the request for the ship to be moved, senior Navy officials in Hawaii and Japan determined that the ships remain in their normal configuration. And ultimately, that's what workers on the ship did, too. They put up a tarp because they said that there was. Was a paint barge blocking view of it but then the barge was ordered to be moved and so the people who work on that ship said that out of respect for john mccain it's namesake that they would never cover it up with a tarp or try to hide it or diminish it
0: in any way acting defense secretary pat Shanahan also was asked about this he just flat out said that i didn't know anything about it he didn't approve anything and that he would never dishonor senator john mccain i would never dishonor the memory of a great american patriot like Senator McCain. Also, I think it's important, I'd never disrespect the young men and women that crew that ship. That's basically the whole thing. Somebody in the office did go ahead and try to make this directive happen. It's a complicated issue. I don't really think the president ordered this. Honestly, don't think the president even knew that the USS John McCain was stationed there. Why would he even know or care that it was there? He's there to do a Memorial Day event and talk to to service members. It seems like it was somebody in the office trying to get ahead of the president's ire.
2: I agree with you completely on that. I also to the point where they said that they dismissed several hundred sailors off the ship because the Navy hats that they're assigned to wear have John McCain's name emblazed on them, that they were just gone for the long weekend. I don't think that there was actually a nefarious thought about this from Trump. I agree with you. I don't think he even comprehended that the ship was there. Right.
0: But it just stokes this whole political controversy. Everybody Mm -hmm. knows the fight that the president and John McCain had. And it just amplifies there. I feel really bad for Megan McCain because this whole controversy pops up again. She was on The View on her show and she said that the president is a child and all this stuff. It's just tough to square away. This is how Megan McCain reacted.
3: It's impossible to go through the grief process when my father, who's been dead 10 months, is constantly in the news
2: cycle Mm -hmm. because the president is so obsessed with the fact that he's never going to be a great man like he was. This story could have easily died on Wednesday if President Trump had just said, you know what, I have no idea. We'll look into it if this is true. There's going to be consequences and killed it. But he had to twist the knife.
0: I'm assuming they'll find out who the person was that sent the original email and they'll get a strong reprimand just for making a controversy out of nothing. Right. Thanks for joining us, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar. Finally, a small preview of what we can expect as 2020 starts coming our way. Fake videos and what big tech companies do to respond to them. Last week, there was a video circulated of Nancy Pelosi slurring her words. She sounded drunk. Fact checkers soon deemed that video fake, but it took Facebook 32 hours to address the issue and didn't even remove that video. Sarah Fisher, media reporter at Axios, joins us to detail what was in that video.
3: When you listen to the speech, when it's not doctored, it sounds as though the speaker sounds perfectly normal. But what happened was somebody took the video and they slowed it down by roughly 75%. And then what they did is they increased the pitch of the speaker's voice so that even though it was slowed down, the pitch matched her normal pitch. So right. if you were just a regular person watching the video, it seemed like Nancy Pelosi was really out of it or drunk. But what happened was this video starts to go viral. You have prominent figures like Rudy Giuliani who are retweeting copies of the video. You have it spreading all over big tech platforms like Facebook and Twitter. And so the existential crisis is If you are one of those tech companies, do you remove the video because it's fake news, or do you leave it up because it's not terrorism content, it's not violent content, it doesn't violate your policies, but you take action on it in a different way. Maybe you say, hey, we're no longer going to let people retweet it or let people share it. And that's the route that Facebook took, but it's not the route that YouTube took. YouTube said, absolutely not. It's coming down. Facebook said it's staying up. So you're starting to see this tug of war between the tech companies of what to do over political misinformation ahead of our 2020 elections.
0: Right. And we've been talking about this for a long time now, this whole notion of deep fakes. And while this wasn't necessarily that where they make a... Completely different video or make a person say something in a video. This was just super simple Slowed down the audio raise the pitch as you said and boom instantly, you know A lot of people might think it's funny and and start spreading it that way But that's how things get rolling and at internet speeds I mean this stuff gets viewed by millions and millions of people Facebook has this hands-off approach to this whole thing policing content on their site They use third-party fact checkers instead of their in-house people And that was part of the problem why it took so long to address this particular video. I think it was about 32 hours later they decided to demote the video rather than take it down, but it took that much time for fact-checkers to actually fact-check it.
3: Those fact-checkers need to work with their own forensic scientists, with their own journalists, to ensure that they do, in fact, have fake or misleading information on their hands. And so once they establish that that's when they were able to make the judgment call that Facebook would need to demote the video. So it's a long and tedious process. And I think the big question is, do we have the time to wait? If there is a viral video that's surfacing the day before the polls open, 32 hours is not going to be fast enough. And so I think Facebook and a lot of the tech platforms are trying
0: to wrestle with what they do. It puts them in a a really tough spot because, you know, you want to be on the right side of things, too. So you don't want to take down a video and then cause a whole controversy later. But as you said, I mean, it's the speed is is the important thing. If it's out there for a few hours, it's going to get picked up and copied and resent. And that's exactly what's happening with this video in particular. Also, there was a bunch of copycats that went out.
3: I think that the lesson learned here is that you have to move and you have to move quickly. And I think that if your Facebook and your policy is, look, we don't necessarily take things down but we demote them so that they are not spreading fast if that's going to be your policy you better try to demote that as quickly as possible because what you're going to end up with is a video that goes viral and by the time you demote it everyone's already seen it
0: this could go all over the place this time it was just a video of nancy pelosi making her sound drunk. But this could also very well be the president that they put words in his mouth or slow him down, make him sound like he's impaired. We know how the news cycles work. All of a sudden, then uh, one of the news channels are doing segments on whether this certain Politico is, is impaired or whether they should continue serving. You know, they sound drunk. You know, how crazy are they? It just takes moments for that stuff to really happen. Critics of Facebook saying that they need to be more proactive about it and delegating it to these third party fact checkers isn't the right way. But if these fact-checking organizations are already working on this, maybe that makes them the best people to flag this stuff, at least.
3: It's a hard one because Facebook could make these judgment calls in-house if they hired editorial experts, but they don't want to. They don't want to be in the news business. They don't want to provide discretion over content, especially of this nature. So they would rather outsource it to third-party fact-checking sites. And the problem with doing that, though, is that Those third-party fact-checking sites don't have the resources that Facebook does. And so the reason it took them 32 hours to be able to assess this video and determine whether or not it truly was doctored is because they don't have 25,000 employees globally with thousands of engineers who could help them get through this in a matter of minutes. So it's a really fine dance. In one end, Facebook does dodge responsibility by outsourcing all editorial decisions. But on the other hand, they're outsourcing it to people that don't have the resources to move quickly, which, of course, makes the problem even
0: worse. Yeah, there was a Facebook representative that did an interview with Anderson Cooper. And for their part, they did say exactly what you said. We're not in the news business. We're in the social media business. But we've seen all the studies and the surveys. Most people do get a lot of their news from Facebook and their other social media. So their role in this is really amplified. Are we going to be seeing a lot more of this leading up into the next election?
3: There's always misinformation when it comes to people that are trying to gain or wield power and you've seen this since the age of the printing press but the difference here is that it's becoming easier to manipulate the information flow because we have social media because we have automation and because so many people have smartphones and rely on those smartphones for news so i definitely would expect for this to ramp up ahead of 2020 and i think the big thing to look for is ways that big tech platforms either change their policies or adapt their practices to handle it or quite frankly ways that they don't and we might see that the problem just gets even worse
0: yeah i mean it's tougher the tech platforms for sure but it's just so much tougher as a consumer as somebody who's going to be reading the news and you see something like this what do you believe now and it's everybody needs to do their part and even the consumer needs to do their part and do their due diligence to not just believe everything that you see on the internet but it, it's getting tougher and tougher sarah fisher media reporter at axios thank you very much for joining us thank you so much Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.